Well, let's get into Leviticus. If you haven't done so already, open your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 7. And um, while you're turning there, I just want us to, to think about the, the many times in life when we are, are compelled to do things that maybe we're not exactly thrilled about, but that we know would be good for us so that we, we do anything. Uh, I think one little example of that might be eating your vegetables. Right? We, we know that vegetables are, are good for us. They, they give nutrients or need for our, our body. And because they're good for us, we eat them. And we need to teach our children to eat them. One of the most hilarious things that we always see at our house is kids trying to eat just a little pea, right? Or just a little vegetable. They don't want it. But as they grow older and mature, then most of us learn to love our vegetables and we eat them. But we do that maybe, maybe not because we like them so much. We'd rather have our Pop-Tarts, right? But that we do that because this is good for us. Or it might be bigger, like maybe like exercising. Your hours on the treadmill are hard. When your, your, your muscles ache and your chest starts pounding, you get out of breath and you're feeling worn out. But afterwards, isn't there a joy of having exercise when your body feels fatigued, but you know it's going to get stronger? It's good for your body. So you, you'll endure the exercise for that. Or school. We will spend years in school. Some people will. Some young people, I hope, spend many years in school and in college, right? And it, it, listen, it's not because we're fond of studying so much or not because we're so fond of the work or the late hours, right, Krista? You love your Monday mornings and so you can sleep in on your Monday mornings, right? Because it's tiring. Um, nor is it that we love paying high prices to the educational institutions. In fact, I've heard before, education is the only thing that you pay for that you don't really want, right? So you pay for this education, but then when the teacher says, yeah, we're going to cancel class on Tuesday, you're like, yes! I don't know anybody who says, wait a minute, I paid for this class. Here, let me in here. No, we, we pay for what we don't want, but that's precisely the, precisely the thing. And the Scripture speaks about this concept as well. Proverbs 6.26, A worker's appetite works for him. His mouth urges him on. Right? So we go to work. Not because work is always so enjoyable, but because it pays the bills, puts food on the table. And there's some times also where you might stretch yourself. Like we've done that recently with picking up the safe family's child. It's, it's not easy. It's not like things are going wonderful at home. Uh, things are mostly smooth, but there are sometimes very stretching, especially for David and Yvonne. You found it very stretching just as he comes in and he's interrupting our school of, of what, what takes place. And it's just hard, but it's intentional stretching for us. And we trust that the Lord is going to, to use that in all these ways. Now, you probably know where I'm going, right? In the past few months, we've been in the book of Leviticus, and I, and I can't help but to think of the comparison. And, and I'll admit it, Leviticus is a difficult book. I mean, it's the sort of book that you're, you're probably not going to read just naturally, right? You don't, when, when, when you play Bible roulette, you know, just what, what's something to read, right? It often you end up maybe in the Psalms or in the New Testament or the Gospels or something that you say, oh, okay, what, what's good? But I don't, I don't think you'll be like, oh, Leviticus 7. Oh, yeah, let's go to Leviticus 7. That'll be a great passage. I don't think you're doing that. It's, it's one of these neglected portions of, of Scripture because it, it, it doesn't naturally apply to us. These are laws written to Israel, a nation a long time ago, that doesn't have any direct application to us. So some of them do, but most of them is just talking about this old religious system. And my guess is also, if you had a choice of what book we'd go through on Sunday mornings, probably not going to choose Leviticus, right? Um, 
probably want something else. But here's, here's my point. I think that Leviticus is like vegetables. It is good for us. It's building a foundation. It is going to bear its fruit. It's going to help us be stronger as a church, as a people. Um, I, I think it's like vegetables or exercise or school or work. It's good for us. Um, it's been good for me. I think even just this past week, I, last, last week as I was preparing for my message, um, I went out to the internet and uh, just pulled up an old message that I, I'd preached from, uh, from Hebrews 8, I think, maybe Hebrews 7, was it right at the end of it. And here's what I said. I was trying to catch, okay, Jesus is the priest and trying to catch this. And so I said this, just imagine with me the experience that an Old Testament saint would have in bringing a sacrifice to the priest. He sins in some way. And so he goes into the temple with his lamb in hand and he brings the animal to the priest and explains the situation, says, I have sinned, here's my lamb, please offer my sacrifice for me. And the priest says, sure, no problem. And so he soon departs and takes the lamb and walks towards the altar. He slits the lamb's throat and offers up the lamb on the altar as a sacrifice. And then I went on. Now, what's, what's wrong with that? Did you catch what's wrong with that statement? Does anyone know? Yes, Gage, what's wrong? Yeah, the worshiper is the one that kills the animal. So, so the, the, the picture is, is that you, you bring your animal, you lay your head on the animal, then you slit its throat, and then you give it to the priest. The priest deals with a carcass, not with a, a walking animal. That's something I, I never... I've read through Leviticus. I was preaching through Hebrews, which is really a commentary on Leviticus. And... and um, I never really realized that, that that was the case. But the, the sacrificing of the animal, the killing of the animal, wasn't the job of the priest. It was the job of the worshiper. Now, when I preached through Hebrews a couple years back, no one came up to me and said, um, Steve, good sermon. All right, but, but I think you missed it a little bit because the worshiper is the one who kills the animal, not, not the priest. Now, it either showed our, our ignorance in Leviticus or it showed your politeness or maybe you don't feel right about correcting me on that or, or, here's, here's what probably what happened. I'm guessing you all knew that it was wrong, okay? I'm the only one who's up here, right? But you say, you know what? But the point he made in, in Hebrews 7 still stands. It's okay. We'll just, we'll just pass. That's, I'm sure that's what happened. Um, because in many ways, it was, it's not such a big deal. I mean, to know who, who slid it or not. Um, because the whole point I was trying to make in, in uh, Hebrews 7 was... Just picture the bringing of the animal and this animal dying and having to die for our sins as opposed to Jesus who, who was sacrificed once and, and for all. Right? And my, my whole point was that. But, but think about what it changes, though, if you get the image right. When you bring the lamb there and you take the knife in your hand and you slit the throat and as the blood gushes forth, your hand and your arm gets bloody and you see the life that's in that animal die because of what you did, your sin that you confessed, and your knife that killed the animal. I can't think of, help but think of Stuart Townend's great hymn, one of my favorite hymns, How Deep the Father's Love for Us, How Vast Beyond All Measure, that He would give His only Son to make a wretch a treasure. Right? The words of the song puts plain picture how how in many ways, some regards, God loved us more than He loved His Son because He was willing to send His Son to die for us. He was willing to send His Son on a death mission on our behalf. 
But I digress because I want to get to the second stanza of this song that says this. Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. So I've sung this song over the years. It always struck me the picture that it plays of my part in the death of Jesus. Now, there is, there is poetry here where he says, yes, I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. Right? I mean, our, we weren't there 2,000 years ago, but had we been there, we would have probably been like everybody else and mocking Jesus. And yet, this is really literal. It was my sin that, that held him there. I mean, that is that is biblical because Jesus died for our sin and it was our sin that put him there. And he wasn't going to get off that cross until my sin was atoned for. He wasn't going to get off the cross until your sin was atoned for if you believe in Christ. Because he was going to he was atoning for all the sins of those who would believe. And, and see, it just just kind of feels we, we don't we don't take this animal and ship him off to the priest. No, we're involved in the killing. And in many ways, like Jesus, it's our sin that nailed him to the cross. And, and there's, there's this simple fact in Leviticus that yeah, I was oblivious to before, but has come rich to me now. And uh, it's been good for me. I think it's drawn me to Christ in greater ways. And I, I do believe Leviticus is, is, good, is good for you all as well. In fact, I, I, did, I did a little survey this week trying to put my ear to the ground to say, okay, how's Leviticus going? Because I know it's hard. I asked a couple people about Leviticus. And um, I was, in fact... Uh, looking and asking, I said, I, you know, I'm looking for kind of a, a bad answer. And, and, and I got positive answers. And the answers all, all went about like this. It says, you know what, it's been rough. It's been difficult. But it's been good. I mean, it's part of God's Scripture. We can either neglect it or try to, try to take it on. It's worthy of being taught. So let's, let's learn these lessons during the season of our church. And soon we'll be on to... Two other portions of Scripture, which are, which are easy, but I think we'll be, we'll be better off for having our worked our way through the book. In fact, we'll take four weeks off as we go through the, the hymns of Christmas, right? So I encourage you to pass these out, make these known. And so even today, if the weather's good enough, we've got some sheets back there, you can hand them out to the, the neighborhood. Take 30 or 40 of them or so and just slide them in the door somehow and just let's invite people to this. But that'll be for Christmas and then we'll be back in Leviticus. I'm really looking forward to chapter 10. Chapter 9 and chapter 10 are going to be really good for us. Um, so I, I just encourage you to have a proper perspective of Leviticus. And, and not to have this martyr's attitude like, oh, this is, this is too hard, right? Oh, this is terrible stuff. Like, don't be the kid who's trying to eat his green bean, okay? I would encourage you to, uh, um, to try and work hard to enjoy your vegetables, just say, you know what, there's something here. And just even like that nugget I shared with you, like, like are, are there nuggets here that, that are there for me? Right? Enjoy your exercise, enjoy your school, enjoy your work, and enjoy Leviticus. See the purpose, see the fruit. Because, listen, if you embrace Leviticus and you say, hey, this is, this is good, this is going to be helpful to me, I bet you will be surprised when you start reading through the Old Testament. Hopefully maybe that begins next January. You start reading through the Bible again. And when you start reading and you see these sacrifices that are being offered, you're like, Oh, now I understand that a little better. And oh, I've got insight into the culture of the, the day. 
as they had these sacrifices and these priests and, and all that. And I, I just guarantee you if, you, if you're reading through your Bible, particularly the Old Testament, you'll find this. It's in the Psalms, it's in Isaiah, it's in the prophets, it's in the history. There's sacrifices all over the place. And our working through Leviticus would help us because really it's, it's been teaching us the most elementary principles of religion. What God requires of us. And as we've seen, right, in, in chapters 1 through 5, has taught us one thing. We need a sacrifice. We need a sacrifice. In order to worship the Lord, He requires us to come with an offering. And of course, then Jesus has become this perfect offering, fulfilling God's standard for our obedience. We simply need to believe in Him. And we can come to God cleansed of our sins. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's by faith in Him that God justifies us. How? It's through Jesus Christ. It's His work on the cross that justifies us. But we need the sacrifice and Jesus has become our sacrifice. Or last week we began to think about priests. Chapter 6-10 through 10 is, the, is the focus on priesthood. My message last week was entitled, We Need a Priest. We can't come to God in our own self-styled way. We need a priest to stand between us and the Lord. We need someone to advocate for us on our behalf. And we will see that even more as we go through Leviticus. We're going to see the great high priest who enters into the Holy of Holies, which none of us can ever enter into. But only the high priest who can plead for us before the Lord. And of course, Jesus Christ became the perfect high priest. He's become the mediator. First Timothy 2.5 There's one God, one mediator between God and man. The man, Jesus Christ. And these two themes come together in the book of Hebrews about needing a sacrifice and needing a priest. Listen to Hebrews 10.19-22 Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain, that is His flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. In other words, it's the, through the sacrifice of Jesus that we can have confidence to enter and approach God. Because His blood made the way, and because He is the great high priest to lead the way, and because His blood is there, and because He's led the way, the author says, let's draw near to Him. And I think of anything from Leviticus 1-10, through 10, it should be draw near to God because we have this sacrifice and we have this priest. Alright, well let's, let's get to Leviticus 7. Um, my message this morning is entitled, We Need a Priest, Part 2. Just picking up on last week when I wanted to finish this chapter. Uh, like I mentioned last week, it covers much the same material that chapters 1-5 through five does. The same sacrifices, the burnt grain, peace, sin, and guilt sacrifices. Right? Chapters 1-5 through five are the perspective of the worshiper. Right? What animals to bring, what sort of sacrifices, what sort of sins do I need? Um, have I committed that I need to come before lower the sacrifice? How, how do I make this grain offering, this bread? What are the uh, elements to that? I mean, it's all from the perspective of the person coming. But... Chapter 6 through 7 mentions these same sacrifices, different order, but of the priest's role. Like how to deal with ashes in the altar and the, how the, the fire needs to keep burning all night long and how to distribute the grain offering. Is it just, just to me or does it go to all the people? And how to take care of the precious blood of the sacrifice. Those are the kind of things we looked at in chapter 6. And in chapter 7, we're going to see still more, much of the same. 
I want to read these sacrifices like last week and just work through them a little bit and then give you some kind of application. Just try to pull out some unique characteristic of something we haven't seen before. Because, quite frankly, this should start getting repetitive. There are some things here that we've seen before and hopefully your understanding will have been increased. So, Leviticus chapter 7, 1 through 10. <clears throat> this is the law of the guilt offering. Now, already in chapter 6, we dealt with the, grain, the burnt offering, grain offering, and sin offering. Now we come in chapter 7 to the last two, the guilt offering. Though we have a, a sprinkling here, the grain offering as well. You can catch it in verses 9 and 10. But mostly it's the guilt offering. This is the law of the guilt offering. It is most holy. In the place where they kill the burnt offering, they shall kill the guilt offering. And again, it goes back. If you understand the burnt offering, you're going to understand the guilt offering. It's going to be Killed in the same place, in many ways, the same manner. Its blood shall be thrown against the sides of the altar, and all its fat shall be offered, the fat tail and the fat that covers the entrails, the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins, and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. The priest shall burn them on the altar as a food offering to the Lord. It's a guilt offering. Every male among the priests may eat of it. So now we're going to talk about, okay, so what do we do with this? The leftover, because we're burning the fat, right? What, what do we do with everything left over? Well, every male among the priests may eat of this guilt offering. It may be eaten in a holy place. It shall be eaten in a holy place. It is most holy. The guilt offering is just like the sin offering. There's one law for them. The priest who makes atonement with it shall have it. And the priest who offers any man's burnt offering shall have for himself the skin of the burnt offering that he has offered. And every grain offering baked in the oven and all that is prepared on a pan or a griddle shall belong to the priest who offers. And every grain offering mixed with oil or dry shall be shared equally among all the sons of Aaron. All right, and we see much the same thing as the other sacrifices, right? Kill the, the guilt offering in the same place, the burnt offering. Throw the blood against the side of the altar. Burn the fat. The priests were able to have the rest, right? They can eat the meat and the one who made the sacrifice gets the skin, can't help but to think that he gets the scalp. It's like the Indian who kills the, the soldier. He gets the scalp to take home. He gets the skin to take home, which would be leather, which would be useful for other things. And so by, by way of application here, though, there's, there's, there's lots. But I just want to pick up here on verse 7. When he says the guilt offering is just like the sin offering. There is one law for them and the priest who makes atonement with it shall have it. I want to focus on this word, this atonement word, this making atonement, because that's the key to all the sacrifices. These these sacrifices weren't offered to God for nothing. It it wasn't just, you know, some decorative, like God likes smoke coming up. I mean, you burn wood if you want smoke coming up or or likes particularly the smell of burnt flesh or he wants that smell to be around. It's not like just incense. It, this was coming for a reason. It, it came to make atonement. In other words, it was, it was come to break down the barrier between us and God that our sin has caused. It was, it, was, it was called to smooth the way before God. And here's my point of application. I just want you to embrace atonement. Embrace it. Grab it. And we've seen this time and time again. I think one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten... 13, 12 times, I'm not sure. Over here. It shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. Chapter 4, verse 20. And the priest shall make atonement for them and they shall be forgiven. Chapter 4, verse 26. So the priest shall make atonement for him and for his sin he shall be forgiven. Chapter 4, verse 31. And the priest shall make atonement for him and he shall be forgiven. Chapter 4, verse 35. The priest shall make atonement for him and for the sin which he has committed shall be forgiven him. Here's the mantra of the priest. 
Right? The priest should make atonement. It's been forgiven of him. Over and over. The priest should make atonement for him and he should be forgiven. The priest should make atonement for him and he should be forgiven. Just come in wave upon wave upon wave upon wave. And that's in particularly predominantly chapters 4 and chapter 5 of this whole idea of, of atonement. It, it comes in chapter 1. Then there's no atonement in chapter 2 and 3 because those are the grain offerings, which are more sacrificial, more peace offerings, which are more thankful offerings, though there is some, some atonement in, the, in those. But the primary atonement comes in the sin offering and the, the guilt offering. It says that's why they're the same in verse 7. It's, it, it's right there. And see, when atonement is made, sin is forgiven. The worshiper may come to God clean and holy. That's the idea of this repetition about how it is holy. Look at verse 1. It says, this offering, it is most holy. Verse 6, it says, it is most holy. See, it's the guilt offering that brings us into the presence of a holy God, sinners though we may be. Because it's the, the guilt offering through the priest who offers a sacrifice on our behalf and we are, are forgiven of our sins. Now, you got to think about that, about Hebrews. Because Hebrews says some things about the blood and bulls and goats. Remember what it says? Hebrews 10.4, the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sins. It's impossible for them to take away sins. Let's remove them from God's sight. Because their author to Hebrews is saying basically that was only done through Jesus. It's the perfect lamb to which all of the bulls and, and goats pointed. That's why Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1 calls, calls the law a shadow. It calls it just a, a projection of, 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 a, of something that would come. Kind of vaguely referring to that. Shadows of the good things to come. But through Jesus is the only way to be made perfect. Catch that word. Perfect. We are made perfect in Jesus. The Old Testament worshipers experience genuine forgiveness because it says, He shall be forgiven. Now, there are a couple of problems with their forgiveness. First of all, I believe that their forgiveness was a little bit like, like swiping a credit card. When you swipe a credit card, you can purchase the item all right, but it's not fully been bought. You may own the item. You may own forgiveness, but that is going to be paid for at a later time. You could do Romans 3, uh, verses 21 through 26. that speaks about how it is that, that, that God can be just to the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus, that he overlooked the transgressions that were committed previously. Because when Jesus died, he could be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. In other words, when Jesus died, he paid the credit card bill and he paid with a balance for our sins as well. So that's, that's one, one problem there, or how, you, how you, you figure that out. But another big problem of the, the Jews is their forgiveness was short-lived. This is only one sin at a time. Uh, look, at, look at chapter 4, verse 35. This is very interesting. When he says, um, you know, kind of there towards the end, and the priest shall make atonement for him for the sin which he has committed and he should be forgiven. The idea is this, is that each sin which you commit, then the animal then pays for your sin. But the next sin you commit, atonement needs to be made. And the idea uh, of these sins is that you'll be forgiven, yes, but you'll be forgiven for this sin. But what about the sin you commit tomorrow or the next hour those are still needing atonement. What about the sins you commit that you never atoned for with the blood of, a, of an animal? Well, that's in some regards what Yom Kippur was for, is to try to over, overcome and overshadow everything, all the sins that were missed or not confessed. But uh, I, I do think that this whole idea about the, the short-livedness of the sacrifice is the idea of Hebrews 10.1. The law can never, by the same sacrifice which they continually offered year after year, make perfect those who draw near. 
But the good news is that in Jesus, we can be made perfect. That's what Hebrews 10.14 says later on down the line. It says, for by one single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Now, it's not that we're perfect, never sin again, but, but we are perfect in the sense that we are, are blameless and whole and holy because of the, the sacrifice of Christ. I mean, even Hebrews 10.14 doesn't say we're perfect, we never sin. It says that we are being sanctified, right? We are constantly being, being increasing in our level of holiness, though we are perfect. But the point is this. The sacrifice of Christ was so complete that all our sins are wiped away because they've been nailed to the cross. Colossians 2.13, He's forgiven us all our transgressions. Colossians 2.14, they've been nailed to the cross. And before God, we stand as, as perfect. And so I say, believer in Jesus, believe the promises, embrace atonement. Because it's through faith in Him that we are forgiven, completely forgiven, perfect in the sight of God. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So don't live your days, don't fret away your days in guilt, but live your days in in the joy of forgiveness. Well, there it is. Embrace atonement. Second, and I'll go through this one faster here. Let's just continue the peace offerings. So we've looked at the guilt offerings. We're going to our peace offerings now. Um, <clears throat> and the peace offerings, really, the rest of the chapter. Verse 11, And this is the law, the sacrifice of the priest's offering, that the one who offers to the Lord, if he offers for a thanksgiving, he shall offer it with a thanksgiving sacrifice, unleavened loaves mixed with oil, unleavened wafers smeared with oil, and loaves of fine flour well mixed with oil. With a sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving, he shall bring his offering with loaves of leavened bread. And from it he shall offer one loaf from each offering as a gift to the Lord. It shall belong to the priest who throws the blood of the peace offerings. And the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving shall be eaten on the day of its offering. He shall not leave any of it until the morning. But if the sacrifice of his offering is a vow offering or a freewill offering, it shall be eaten on the day that he offers his sacrifice. And on the next day what remains of it shall be eaten. But what remains of the flesh, the sacrifice on the third day, shall be burned up with fire. If any of the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering is eaten on the third day, he who offers it shall not be accepted, neither shall it be credited to him. It is tainted, and he who eats of it shall bear his iniquity." Flesh that touches any unclean thing shall not be eaten. It shall be burned up with fire, and all who are clean may eat flesh. But the person who eats of the flesh of the sacrifice of the Lord's peace offerings, while an uncleanness is on him, that person shall be cut off from the people. And if anyone touches an unclean thing, whether human uncleanness or an unclean beast or any unclean detestable creature, then and then eat some flesh from the sacrifice of the Lord's peace offerings, that person shall be cut off from his people. All right. There's lots here. Now, particularly interesting is about how it needs to be eaten quickly. It needs to be eaten a day or, or two days afterwards. And I think some of that is just you deal with things quickly with God. But we're not going to elaborate on that because I think that this day it's best to elaborate on the Thanksgiving offering. Because we, we see three different forms of the peace offering. The Thanksgiving offering, verse 12, or the vow offering, verse 16, or the free will offering in verse 16. They're all expressions of having peace with God, right? We give thanks to God because of the forgiveness that we have experienced. We, we offer a vow to God as a pledge to walk in His ways because we, we know this unity with God. And, and a free will offering is a gift to the Lord for the kindness that He has bestowed upon us. We just want to give something back, a, a gift to Him. And of course, I want to talk about Thanksgiving today. Thanksgiving is a is an offering of, of gift to God motivated by gratitude. And I would say this, Christians of all people, 
ought to be thankful people. Of all people. I mean, think about what God has done for us. He's opened our eyes to see the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ. God has done it. He's transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son. He took us who were dead in our sins and He made us alive together in Christ. In fact, even being called new creatures of what God works in us. 1 Peter 1, He causes us to be born again. He has taken away all of our sins. He has given us hope of of eternal life. Of all people, we have to be thankful. Of of all that God does for our souls through Jesus. This week, Ryan Brown sent me a a brief quote by John Bloom at Desiring God. He he says this, When we hear the Bible tell us to be thankful, Colossians 3.15, we can turn it into an obligatory expression of spiritual courtesy towards God rather than an expression of astounded, overwhelmed realization that we received mind-blowing grace from Him. And he said then this, he says, we've learned to say thank you without feeling thankful and to think that's okay. We have learned to say thank you without feeling thankful and think it's okay. It's not okay. It's not okay. Because the call of the Scripture isn't just merely to, to say, oh, say thanks to God. Right? You go, no, the, the idea is to be thankful and let that express itself to God. So you want an example? Luke 18. And the, um, the Pharisee and the publican. You remember what the Pharisee, the righteous Pharisee who went into the temple, how did he pray? I thank you, God, that I'm not like these people. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. I'm not a murderer or scoundrel. Or I'm walking purity. And I thank you, God, that I'm that way. And then the, the, the publican, right, beating his breast, not even willing to look up towards heaven, says, oh, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, was that first man thankful? Yeah. Was he feeling thankful? Perhaps. But there was an arrogant thankfulness about him. Right? This, look what I am. I think being thankful is just being overwhelmed by the the immensity of all the blessings that God has given to us apart from anything we've done. As Paul says, I think it's 1 Corinthians 4, maybe 7. um, What do you have but you haven't received? We've received everything we have. Our salvation is totally by grace. It's not by works. There's nothing that we've done. And so, right, you want to stir your heart to, to gratitude. How about this? Can I, can, I give you, can I give you a simple suggestion? How about write out your testimony? And think deep and hard about, about what the Lord has done for your soul through Jesus. Think of the darkness in which you lived. And think about the kindness of God to give you Jesus. And, and think of God's care for you in, in sending someone to share the gospel with you. I mean, when, when I'm in India and Nepal, one of the, my, my most favorite stories is to hear these people going up into the, the, the mountains, right, with, with whatever, just a handful of houses, maybe 20 houses, maybe 50 houses, kind of up on this mountain before, and no one's ever been there to tell them of Jesus. 
And how kind of God even to put you in a society where you can hear of Jesus. You can hear him on the radio. You can get Bibles. It's a, that is God's kindness to you. Or someone to talk to you and tell you the gospel. It's normally how people become Christians, through the word. I do know one man who I'm going to be talking to him who just became a believer by reading his Bible in the library. His parents would prohibit him from doing so. And so he went to the library and read the Bible, read the Bible and was converted. And so I hope I get his testimony in this book. It would be wonderful to see the different ways. But normally it's through the word of a mouth. Someone proclaiming the good news. Hey, believe in Jesus, whether it's parents or friends or a co-worker or a co-student or whatever. But it's God's kindness to send someone. And all of you have different people in your lives. And you can be thankful to God for the, the people that God sent in your life. Or think about God's grace to open your eyes. God doesn't give everyone the grace to open their eyes. You remember Matthew chapter 11, after Jesus preached the gospel? He says, I praise you, Father, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent, but you have revealed them to babes. Those who are wise and intelligent, wise in their own eyes, think they know everything. God says, I'm not going to reveal myself to you. you got it all. But it's those who are babes that God looks upon who are helpless. He says, I'm going to open your eyes. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him. He's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. God's got to change our minds so that we're not a natural man, so we're a spiritual man, so that when those, when those understandings come, when the, the Word comes, we can understand them. We're like antennas. I put this in my book, my passing through the field. We're like spiritual antennas. Is it there's, there's radio waves coming through us right now, Right? I mean, just think about all the TV, all the Wi-Fi, all the other stuff that's going through it. And we can't understand any of it. None of us can pick up the Bears game, right? You're right. Maybe some of you with braces can, right? If you, if you kind of twist your teeth right, maybe you can. No, you can't. You can't. But we got all these radio waves. We can't, we can't hear it. That's what a natural man is like. That's First Timothy 2.14. The natural man cannot understand the things of the Spirit of God. There's foolishness to him. But when God works in our heart, our eyes are open, then we understand it becomes glorious to us. See, it's God's grace that comes to you to understand the truth. That's why God grants repentance to peoples. Acts 13. Acts 10. So we see God has granted repentance to the Gentiles. He gives us repentance. And think about God's kindness in that. Think of God's generosity. That someday you will be an heir of the kingdom of heaven, a fellow heir with Jesus Christ. You're like, Jesus, of course he's going to inherit the kingdom, but we are fellow heirs with Jesus. Romans 8, verse 17. What Jesus gets, we get. Mind-blowing, boggled, just, just by trusting in God, by confessing we're sinners, believing in Jesus, all this he does for us. If that doesn't stir you to thanksgiving, I have no idea what's going to stir your, your heart to thanksgiving. So write out your testimony and then submit it to us and we'll include it in our book, Lord willing. So embrace atonement. Be thankful. And let's just let's go on to this last section of Leviticus 7. For completeness sake, I do want to read it. And again, I'll focus just on one thought. It'll be very brief. My time is way out. We see a change here. We're going to speak not to the, the sons of Aaron anymore. We're going to speak to the people of, of Israel. You can see that there in verse 22. Speak to the 23. Speak to the people of Israel. You see that there in verse 29. Speak to the people of Israel. So there's a change. But it's still going over the same things, right? It's, there's priestly instruction there to the priests. And there, 
There are instructions for the people, but you'll, you'll catch it. Here we go. Dealing with the peace offering. More instructions for the priests, though he's speaking to the people. Verse 22, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel saying, You shall eat no fat of ox or sheep or goat, the fat of an animal that dies of itself and the fat of one that is torn by beasts and may be put into any other use, but on no account shall you eat it. For every person who eats of the fat of an animal of which a food offering may be made to the Lord shall be cut off from his people. Moreover, you shall eat no blood, whatever, whether fowl or animal or of any dwelling place. Whoever eats any blood, that person shall be cut off from his people. Boy, there's some themes here that I'd love to talk about, but we'll pick them up later in Hebrews. But don't, don't eat the blood, don't eat the, the fat, otherwise you'll be cut off. Because the idea of, of Hebrews is that God is making a holy people, a pure people. If they're unclean people, they need to get out. But I'm, we're going to pass that up because we're going to get that more in Leviticus. But here I want to catch something here, verse 28 and following. 28. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, Whoever offers the sacrifice of his peace offering to the Lord shall bring his offering to the Lord from the sacrifice of his peace offerings. His own hands shall bring the Lord's food offerings. He shall bring the fat with the breast, that the breast may be waved as a wave offering before the Lord. The priest shall burn the fat on the altar, but the breast shall be for Aaron and his sons. And the right thigh you shall give to the priest as a contribution from the sacrifice of your peace offerings. Whoever among the sons of Aaron offers the blood on the peace offerings and the fat shall have the right thigh for a portion for the breast that is waved and the thigh that is contributed. I have taken from the people of Israel out of the sacrifice of the peace offerings. I have given them to Aaron and the priest and to his sons as a perpetual due for the people of Israel. This is the portion of Aaron and his sons from the Lord's food offering from the day that they're presented to serve as priests of the Lord. The Lord commanded this to be given them by the people of Israel. From that day he anointed them. It's a perpetual due throughout their generations. And then he concludes right here, verse 37 and following. This is the law, the burnt offering, the grain offering, the sin offering, of the guilt offering, of the ordination offering, and the peace offering, which the Lord commanded Moses on Mount Sinai on the day that he commanded the people of Israel to bring their offerings to the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. Nice, nice little conclusion at the end. Now, as we look at this section 28 through 36, um, love to talk about... Uh, just the, the portion the priests have, right, in, in giving and, and, and why, why they're given this thigh and, and how, how they're given this thigh and, and, and why that is. But I just want to focus on, on something else here this morning. I want to focus on the thought of 29 and 30. About towards the end of 20, uh, 29, is that whoever offers the sacrifice of his peace offering to the Lord shall bring his offering to the Lord from the sacrifice of his priest's offerings. His own hands shall bring the Lord's food offering. And I said, as much as we need a priest, we also have a responsibility. The worshiper is to take the initiative and come to the priest. The worshiper is to bring his own sacrifice to the priest's offerings. The worshiper was to bring the food offering. And I just say it's no different for us today. Right? When we come to God, we must come. We must come on our part. We must see our need. We must come and we bring. Now, obviously, since Christ has come, we don't, we don't come lugging these animals anymore, right? Because Christ is there. But, but what we do, what do we bring? Right? We bring our faith. And we bring our claim on Jesus to trust in the sacrifice of the Christ, right? We're, we're the givers who come with our gifts, and we merely come and bring them to God. And our gifts, is interesting, is, is, is not even we, we come. We just say, God, uh, my gift is Jesus that you gave to me anyway. 
and this is how I'm, I'm coming to you. But, but we need to come, just as much as the worshipers came with their, um, came with their own sacrifices. Uh, I'm really struck, verse 30, he came with his own hands to bring the Lord's food offerings. You know, I, I can't help but to think also just about giving. We talked about that last week. There's something where you, you come with your own hands to give, and you give what is yours to God. All in response, right? These peace offerings, right? The thank offering, the vow offering, and the free will offering. These are all just reflections of giving back to God whatever He has really given to us in the first place. So I encourage you to, to come to Christ. Come with faith to the only one able to save. So let's pray. Father, I pray that you would use these words here in Leviticus, as hard as they are. God, teach us the staple of your word. These building blocks from your word from which all sacrifices flow. And as we just finish these chapters with this, this phrase, these are the instructions for the burnt offering, the grain offering, and the, uh, the guilt offering, and the sin offering, and the peace offering. God, I pray that we would I just come to understand those, come to embrace them, seek to apply them as is appropriate to us in Christ. God, help us, God, to, to see the, the purpose behind these things. God, grow us in our love and enjoyment of Leviticus as hard as it is. I pray also for our Christmas series here these next four weeks. I pray, Lord, that you might bring some visitors among us. God, may we be faithful in, in inviting our friends, God, to say, hey, come, come and think about Christmas and help stir your heart. Uh, to think about Jesus coming into the earth. So, so God, do that. Help us, O oh Lord. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.